Welcome to Youth Ministry Small Church, a podcast with the most obvious mission statement in iTunes. We're here to help equip youth workers and small churches to do ministry that makes the big churches jealous. All right, so imagine you're at a church that hasn't had a functional youth program for years. The church has come to you and basically asked you to reboot the youth program. What do you do? That's what we're talking about today. Often, for a variety of reasons, a church essentially needs to reboot their youth program. Sometimes that's because, honestly, they haven't had a youth program in some time. Other times, that's because the church has realized that the way they're doing youth ministry just isn't effective, and they're willing to really rethink what they're doing. That's great. One strength of small churches is that they're relatively nimble. In situations like this, small churches have the potential to be a lot more flexible than larger churches do. Compared to larger churches, small churches are able to make decisions fairly quickly, uh, change direction fairly quickly, and retool pretty quickly. It That doesn't mean it will happen in a small church. It just means there's potential there for it to happen. And it may not seem quick when you're in the middle of it, but imagine trying to like totally reboot a youth program in a church of 500 that's got 50 people in a, in a 50 youth in any given week, right? Compared to that, rebooting a youth program in a small church is probably relatively feasible. So now if you're willing to rethink your entire approach to youth ministry, some churches have come up with really interesting ways to approach this. In particular, they've often been really good at finding ways to get out into the community. So in Christian leadership circles, we often have this discussion, you know, people, um, you know, you're standing around with your friends who, who work in churches, and everybody's talking about like, oh man, we really need to get the church out into the world instead of putting so much of its energy into the programming on Sunday morning, you know? It's a sort of a, a common frustration of people who work in churches. Churches who reboot their youth program often are able to do that in a way that fundamentally puts the youth group out in the world. There's some really interesting things people have done. Our interview today is with Carl Dodd, and Carl has a history of helping churches think through these things. He's done it in the UK, and he's done it in the United States, Uh, so he's got a lot of great insight. Um, Carl's done really interesting things, again, that have helped get churches out into the world um, as they sort of rethink their approach to youth ministry. So he's got a lot of great insight. Carl is going to be more helpful to you in helping you consider what questions you should be asking, uh, not in giving you concrete ideas about what to do. Concrete ideas in this case really need to come from looking at your community and figuring out things like where are the youth, where are the needs in the community. Before we move on, I want to remind everyone about our giveaway. I still have a couple copies of Smaller Church Youth Ministry, No Staff, No Money, No Problem by Brad Fiscus and Stephanie Carroll. Still got a couple of these for a giveaway. This book is super densely packed. It's a great book on how youth ministries should function. I find myself periodically rereading books like this. About once a year, I'll find a book like this to reread, and I almost always 
uh, find myself reminded of what really matters in youth ministry. It's still very helpful to me to read books like this. And if you're new, books like this can be a massive lifesaver. Before we move on, let's hear from our sponsor. Inalienable is a human rights NGO that also does a summer week-long missions trip. Because Inalienable is fundamentally a human rights organization and not a short-term missions company, their trip is pretty unique. It's important to me to give my youth a valuable mission experience, one that makes a real difference. That's why every year I partner with a nonprofit called Inalienable that's doing fantastic work with the migrant community in Baja, California. Baja 2018 is an opportunity for your students to see real injustice and be part of the solution. In the past, I've struggled with short-term mission trips that don't truly change lives and seem to teach young people that service is all about themselves. But that never happens with Inalienable. Because Inalienable has real relationships with the community, my youth develop real relationships with the community. My youth actually do work that actually impacts other people. My youth learn the value of actually living for others. I've taken my youth group with Inalienable Missions for three years now, and we're going again this summer. During Baja 2018, we will implement projects that identify local assets and close the gaps that separate the migrant community from local resources. When resources become accessible, the invisible become visible. Learn more and register at www.inalienable.life and like them on Facebook. So I want to introduce everybody to Carl Dodd. In fact, Carl, you've done a lot of really interesting things in your life. Let me, uh, let me let you introduce yourself, I think. You might do a better job than I would. Okay, that sounds interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, I now find myself living just outside Seattle, um, and I am a chaplain in a school with at-risk youth, and I also work with youth specialties, doing the wire search stuff. Um, but before all of that, I um, worked with the Methodist Church for, uh, for quite a while, about 10 years, um, initially uh, within a local Methodist circuit, and then nationally as part of their youth participation strategy. Um, the whole point of that uh, youth participation strategy was um, the Methodist Church in Britain was bleeding out youth uh, at a rapid rate, and so they were working on something to, um, that could change that. And so uh, some of my exciting stuff is, you know, I've worked in um, setting up a youth cafe uh, as a Methodist Church project in a local community of 17,000 people um, in a church of a few hundred, but then as part of this Methodist circuit, so... Uh, as a Methodist local preacher, I was working in churches that um, could have anywhere from two to 40 on a, any given Sunday. And uh, it was exciting because I was working with some churches there that wanted to set up youth ministry for the first time and were wrestling with kind of what to do when you've just got two volunteers and, and a village to work with. So, yeah, um, that's yeah, kind that's, of my background. That's a pretty common problem in small churches. Yeah, yeah, would- it is. And, uh, and it's one of the things... Uh, that kind of got my passion going for small churches that I know we've talked about um, and just the potential that those small churches can have, um, especially when you find Methodist churches um, because they're often placed in some great geographical locations and communities. And if you can get churches looking outwards, then it's a game changer. Um, yeah. Um, what do you mean by interesting geographical areas? Um, so if we go to, if we look at England, um, uh, you know, a lot of the Methodist churches were, 
spam cells sprouting up in the middle of villages and towns and, and places where um, they're at the heart of the community. Um, and, you know, in a lot of the small churches that exist in rural places, they are the meeting place because they've got a big room and nowhere else has a big room. So you find yourself in some great um, opportunities, some great places, some easy doors to open. Um, but it's just wrestling with that challenge of, okay, how do I do that? And how do I, how do I show that kind of, uh, desire and take people with me as well? Okay. So, um, we are going to do a scenario today. Um, you, one thing that really attracted me to you for this podcast is the way that you've helped set up new ministries, um, and things like that, like you were talking about. So what I want to do today is imagine that you're at a church that hasn't had a very functional youth program for years, but like typical small church, like 75 people on a Sunday morning. And that church has basically asked you to figure out some way to restart things, but they're also open to innovative approaches to youth ministry. They don't necessarily want youth group on a Wednesday night. They're they're open to other things. So let's start with this question. If you're open to reimagining youth ministry at a local church, what is the bottom line for you? What perimeters are not open for debate? Um, or let me ask it another way. Yeah. This is in my mind, the same question. <laughs> what, what are you trying to accomplish um, that is kind of consistent across all these different ideas? Okay. So I'm going to steal from someone else um, who was a good person to steal from. He uh, used to be the general secretary of the Methodist Church of Great Britain. And he described uh, the churches that we were working with as, um, what was the phrase, discipleship movements shaped for mission. And I think if you can have that as your DNA all the way through from your youth ministry to your adult ministry and beyond, then if you're looking outwards um, and you are seeing everything as a process of discipleship, um, no matter whether you're working with folks who are completely outside the church and don't get the church context or people who've been around for decades, um, and their families have been around for decades, then if you're focused on that, then you get plenty of room to play with ideas, if that makes sense. Okay. And so, um, for example, um, you know, we had a, a soccer team uh, in the town, and we were wrestling with that whole uh, challenge of what to do when sports pulls your students away. Um, I was running this small youth cafe, so we just used that as a place for, for them to have their post-match celebration, and that group turned into a small group you know we didn't expect that (laughs) and what the one guy that came to our church set a whole small group discipleship group up for his his friends um it started with just just being able to open up a door to a room and to to serve some drinks and and some stuff and i think um for me the some of the the baseline is if you're willing to engage with people to look outwards and to see it all as a a discipleship movement, then you're on a good track. Do you have a uh, convenient, tidy definition of discipleship? Wow. Okay, not convenient. Okay. Um, but but another one of my favorite topics is the two roads that we have that we have in the New Testament. Um, well, there's a lot of roads, but there's the uh, road to Damascus, and that's kind of how the church has done ministry for a while now. For and it's not been working great. We do these these big. Uh, dramatic presentations and expect people to suddenly recover their sight and it'll all be good. Yeah. But for me, discipleship is more of a road to Emmaus experience. The fact that Jesus chooses to walk alongside us um, to uh, help us wrestle with the questions we have and the fears and doubts 
and to discover more of him through the scriptures in that process as well. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's for me over recent years been kind of how I've been shaping my direction in ministry yeah. is to see focus more on the road to Emmaus. Not that there's anything wrong with the road to Damascus, but if we put all our, our eggs in that basket, then um, we see what happens with our students kind of falling away once they have to stand on their own two feet. Yeah. So, yep. Uh, okay, so that's that's your your bottom line. So when you're starting to to brainstorm, what are you thinking about as you start to dream and envision what you might do? If you'd asked me when I first started out in, in youth ministry, I'd be all about kind of getting the big ideas and stuff like that. And I guess the years have taught me that um, doing doing the groundwork in advance, doing the research, getting to know um, who you're reaching out to. Uh, you know, getting to know uh, the community that you're reaching out to, your students. This idea of, um, I think it's Ecclesiastes 10.10 10 talks about, you know, if you shot uh, a dull axe takes a lot more effort, but with wisdom, um, it brings more skill or, or something like that. That was the cold dog paraphrase. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and I think as you're shaping ministry, if you put time into um, getting to know your students, even involving them in the decision-making process, bringing parents on board, kind of uh, in all of that, um, as you shape your vision at the start, it actually takes a lot less effort further down the line. It okay. just takes more time at the start. Okay. So, so one example for that is that um, I was invited to a... I, when I was doing my master's, I had 10 hours of placement time that I had to do. And one of my local chapels, uh, membership of around about 50 people, and uh, having two willing volunteers wanted to do something new in their village. And the story of this village was the fact that... Um, when the village was given money to set up a play park, they deliberately built it outside the village limits because um, they didn't want kids making a noise in their neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, okay. and, so this, and so the church I was working with wanted to do youth ministry in this location. And so they had a building. And so we opened up with pizza and a whole lot of questions done in creative ways to get to know the student, uh, the youth and, and some of the children in the village and just find out what their heart was, what they felt about their village. We even got some uh, local government funding to do it, which is great when someone else wants to put some money into the, into the process. Sure. Um, and we shaped a whole uh, ministry plan for the church from that research um, and ended up uh, doing some social action projects, um, getting access to a village hall by kind of the two volunteers taking over the political decision-making of that village hall. And just from two people being willing to, to, to develop a vision, to listen to, to the students and to allow them to shape something. And uh, that youth ministry still goes on to this day. Okay. Yeah. So, so on my little, my little chart of you yeah. know, prep questions, my, like my number two question was, you know, what big picture questions are you talking about? And then like three questions down was who should be involved in thinking through this. And you like flip that. You think it's better to start with getting the right people involved. Yeah, no, no, it's exactly that. It's about, um, and I think that's been one of the cultural change moving to the U S um, this in the UK, we were in so many ways, the U S is ahead of us on in, uh, ahead of Britain, but in church decline, we're kind of leading the way. Um, which is not a great thing to be leading the way in. Um, um, and so, you know, we were working on projects uh, through the youth participation strategy, um, which were about, okay, so how do we, how do we get more buy-in? How do we uh, do what we're doing efficiently? How do we um, do all that? And the one thing we found is if you're involving um, 
if you're involved in youth, if you're involved in their parents from the very outset, then yes, it takes time and actually takes some skill to learn to facilitate conversations and stuff like that. But the buy-in at the other end is um, it, it changes things. You know, you're no, no longer thinking, okay, how do I communicate this message and get people to my event? You've got people that form the event or form the ministry bringing people because they've got buy-in that it's, it's their thing. And as long as you stay out with looking in that, then it, it can, can work well. You, uh, you, I think it was in Missouri, you set up a coffee shop. Is that right? Uh, so back in England, I had a, it was a youth cafe. Okay. Um, so what happened there was uh, the church, and that was a slightly bigger church. It was about uh, 300 people. Um, but they got given, it was a small town of 17,000 people, like I was mentioning it before. And there was nothing in this town for young people. Two schools, uh, and there was nothing. So um, they got given some, I think all in all, it came to about half a million dollars to set up this project from different government bodies. Um, and regardless of what resources we had, um, we set up at the very outset, we set up a student-led management team who um, part of their, their first role, I suppose, was working through some of the adult-led decisions that had been made. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I mean, I was six months in arriving to that location and things like um, someone had decided that a color scheme of gray and magnolia was a really good choice for a youth cafe. Um, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> and, so, and so, you know, from the very outset, we had students redecorate and set up so it was friendly for, for them and, um, and just really doing something that was meeting the needs in the community. Um, and that was how we were doing our outreach there was uh, we set up a cafe for, for students called The Sanctuary that was for students that were from a minority or were getting bullied, you know, and that just came through someone communicating a need. So, yeah, that sort of work. Well, okay, so it's, it sounds like the basic idea is pretty straightforward. You figure out what the needs are in the community. Yeah. It's better to do that by talking to the community. And yeah. But then, and then you're just figuring out which of the ideas you come up with or something you can actually pull off. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the dangers in, in this is that everyone wants to offer you an idea of uh -huh. what they think needs to be do done. So you need to develop ways to, um, to streamline that. So knowing what your goals are is re really important. So, for example, in, these, uh, in that project I was just talking about, um, the smaller one with the, the smaller church, um, you know, lots of people want to do lots of different things um but because we knew our purpose was to set up a a ministry that was kind of disciple making and and, and was outward focused and um, there were certain things that we could easily say no to um because that just wasn't what we were were there for and if you if you do that with um transparency uh, with folks they can be really understanding um so that's why it's important to get people like parents on board you know um parents can be your greatest support but they can also take up a lot of your your time so taking parents out for coffee for example uh and when it's appropriate and getting to know um what their heart is and, and getting them on board that can produce things where they start offering resources your way and i kid you not you know in, in one of the small churches we got offered a, a mansion on a lake for a youth group retreat because hey my parents have got this big house on the lake would you like to would you like to go there well yes we would yes that is that is the <laughs> very thing i want to do yeah, yeah, and that's through getting to know people and building relationships. That guy was um, uh, uh, 
family member for some of the kids in, in one of my kids' ministries, and he came on board as a leader, and just it opened up things that we were never accessible before, and it all came through building relationships and getting people behind what your vision was and communicating that well. Yeah. Who, who um, just in kind of our generic scenario here, yeah. what sort of people do you think you should start off by actively pursuing? Like parents you mentioned? Yeah, parents. Um, so even from a student point of view, not all your students are going to be, um, get them all involved, but they're going to be some students that actually have their fingers on the pulse. And, and so don't just listen to the loudest voices. Okay. Um, often, whether it be students or whether it be adults, the loudest voices aren't necessarily the, the best to listen to. Um, and so find ways to listen to those voices that have either given up saying something because <laughs> they're never heard um, or, um, or kind of take time to work out, okay, who has, who has dropped off the scene um, uh, and build those relationships as well. Um, so that, that's kind of important because in churches we get used to um, dealing with folks who, who know how the system works who know how to play that political system that sadly exists in, in our churches. Yeah. Um, and so taking time to, to listen to all voices is really important. Um, so parents, um, but then also find who the movers and shakers in your church are um, and communicate with them well. Um, you know, your, your property people, the people who, who deal with the property side of things. You know, if you get them on your side, it works a lot easier and having a, a weekly wrestle about chairs not being put away in the right place and things like that. Um, uh-huh. True story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, hasn't happened to you, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it has, and I've learned from experience. Um, yeah. And, and so I think, um, I think working out where the gatekeepers are, you know, learning how to communicate things that we can be really bad at at the very start of youth ministry, learning how to communicate financially as well. We feel awkward doing that, but actually, if you if you know that you're going to be setting something up, being able to communicate the finances behind that, even if the money's not there, um, helps people. Um, communicating time that it takes to do these things, and we often um, expect people to do things faster than they can do them. Um, so communicate why things take the time they take. Um, I've lost you on video, but I'm assuming you can still hear me. Yeah, um, yeah you broke it up there for a second, but we got it. There we go. So, um, and okay. so work out those people that are, are good to get on side, not from a manipulative way, but do yeah. it in a relational way, um, yeah. because that will set you up for health. It also yeah. means that when things get difficult, you've got people in your corner. Yeah. Um, and they understand that it takes what you laid out, that it takes time, it takes money. These things are to yeah. be expected. Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, I, I made a list of some things because I knew you were going to ask that question. Um, but also volunteers. I mean, let's let's face it. That's one of the biggest questions that is asked in youth ministry forums and stuff like that. Is uh-huh. okay. So how do I get volunteers to make this thing happen? Um, one of the things that I did with some of the smaller churches I was working with was to say, hey, if you've got a vision to do this, then then I need you to sell that vision as well as me. Mm-hmm. I've got your back, but find me some people to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And um, and in in some situations, in in this, you know hypothetical situation we, we were talking about, I'd be saying, hey, let's get some ideas of what we can make happen, um, but then make sure that we're taking stock of that. Make sure that we're getting the people in place to make it happen. Make sure that we have the resources to make it happen. Um, yes, trusting God for some for, for all of it, but 
um, but also do what we can do our due diligence um, to make sure that we're getting the people in the right place and um, uh, the resources in the right place. Okay. Um, yeah. What else? What else do you have written down? Did anything else? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, some of the some of the hints I was thinking about in this hypothetical situation. Um, if money's an issue, get creative and find ways around it. You know, um, let's face it, a lot of uh, the small churches that, that we know, finance is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, when you've gone through decades of unhealthy ministry, that can, that can impact a lot of things. So, so like I said, be, be creative in um, getting ready to go and ask for things. You know, it's amazing, I find, how many places you go to and you can ask for a, a gift card from, uh, from an ice cream place or, or something like that for a prize. And, and you know, you can get those sort of little things, but also by building relationships, you find the people who've got the seven-seater vehicles. Mm-hmm. You find the people who've got a big backyard to do a campout in, all that sort of stuff, and, and taking that time. Um, but yeah, it's really, I think that's what I, I've got kind of here is, is um, but the big deal for me um, throughout everything is if you're involving your students within the decision-making process, they can be finding new volunteers, they can be they can be kind of finding you uh, resources. They, by building relationships with adults in the church, you get more adult buy-in when they actually know the students that you're reaching out to. Yeah. Um, uh, and it goes beyond kind of putting them on stage to, to sing a nice song or something like that. You know, by actually getting them alongside each other, by building that relationship, by getting them serving alongside each other, um, it, it's reality. Uh, and, you know, the easiest times I've had to convince church councils is when they've known the students involved and they've been seeing the students uh, engaged and uh, and making a difference. I I think that's uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, coming up with interesting ways to fund stuff. You told a story earlier about um, when you were in the UK getting government funding for yeah. um, a project. Um, my experience. I work. I also work with a nonprofit, and yeah. I found that. If you can convince people of your vision, not convince them, but if you discuss your vision with them and what you're doing and they're excited about it, you know, it's all of a sudden doors start opening uh, to, to yeah. resources. Yeah. Yeah. I actually took the decision early on at that time, though, to stay, make sure that I stayed true to what we were, felt we should be doing. Um, there were people who were offering money that I realized I w- we would be selling what our, our ministry was about was about to um, kind of take that on board. So there were things that I was actually say, still saying no to, even though there was money on the table, um, because uh, just believing that, you know, God, God was leading in the way um, and, and having people around you that can offer that good counsel um, and saying, hey, no, this isn't within what we were planning to do. Um, and this would hamstring us a little bit if we took this money. Um, so uh, in any uh, situation where things are, are desperate kind of people, money, resources, especially when you set something up for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, um, it's knowing when to, it's great when you have lots of things presented in front of you. Um, it's knowing when to say no to some things as well. Yeah. Um, and so, so they don't impact you in the future. Yeah. Okay. So um, how is it that you develop that, that bottom line, it seems for you, or those boundaries for you, it seems like those sort of develop over time. Seems like oh yeah okay so that it grows yeah. at the beginning it's just like I want to do something like vaguely discipleship making disciple making and then over yeah. time as you talk to people you flesh that out a little bit 
I suppose when I was first training in ministry, it was even more basic than that. It was, uh, I want to keep my job. This is my first job. <laughs> right, right. And so I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, it wasn't probably till my second church I was working that I, I realized that actually, you know, maybe we need to think more about this. Maybe we need to take more time. Um, and so the idea of a lot of the things that I developed um, in, my, in my own personal thinking when it comes to new projects, it comes from that learning experience of, hey, if I, if I just run at this, then I've got a lot of cleanup to do later. Mm-hmm. Where if I actually take, as with anything in life, um, you and I were both at the National Youth Workers Convention. We heard Bob Goff talk about you know, if he'd just taken the malaria pills at the start, if he took the quick uh, 25 cents fix or whatever it was, then he wouldn't have had malaria. Yeah. And I think it's true in shape and ministry as well. Um, that you know, if, if you put the time in at the beginning, um, then it causes a lot less pain further on um, in the growing pain stage. Um, and I think it's true in a lot of our life, but that's kind of impacted how to kind of do entrepreneurial kind of setup of youth ministry, um, to, to do the groundwork, to, to build the relationships, important parts of the groundwork, yeah. uh, and with students, with parents and with, uh, with adults as well. Yeah. yeah. Carl, do you have any so favorite time? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. But that comes with time and that comes with learning from mistakes. What's my, fa- what were you going to ask me about? I was so going to change the topic radically. So please continue. That's all right. I can go with that. No, no. Change <laughs> the topic. I'm curious now. <laughs> I, uh, I was going to ask if you have any favorite uh, resources or books or things that have been helpful in thinking about this sort of thing or anything like that. You know, you know, one of the things that I, um, one of the things I read after a, you know how you learn from when things go wrong. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And, and then you... uh, I had, <laughs> and, uh, I actually read sustainable youth ministry after, um, after some things went wrong at a church I was at and there, there we go. You see, it's right there on the, on the desk. You know, there's, there's so many different truths in there, um, mm-hmm. that ring true. Um, uh, it was kind of a healing book for me because it felt many ways of, Hey, no, this is about doing things right. This is, you know, if you, about being sustainable, I actually had a, when I was talking about it to another pastor, he said, you know what, Carl, the word sustainable just isn't interesting. <laughs> and I was kind of taken aback because the word unsustainable is more worrying to me than sustainable. Yeah. Um, and I think it's something that in the, in the glitz and glamour of getting a fancy youth ministry, we forget that whatever we do, it needs to be sustainable. Right. It needs to, to last for time. Um, one of the reasons why I work with these specialties um, and doing my search stuff is about saying, hey, we want to get people in the right place because actually being there for a decent amount of time is important for our students. It's about building a relationship. Um, it's about, and so even in setting youth ministry up in the small church, you know, you get a big buy-in if, if the students know you're, you're in it for them and if you're going to be around. Um, and some of the most um, difficult times in setting up new mi- ministry has been when um, students have seen successive youth pastors come and stay mm-hmm. for six to nine months yeah. and try to set something up. Yeah. So it's why sustainable, doing it right, getting it, doing the best you can to be relational, all super important. Yeah, I think a lot of times, a lot of small churches wind up like asking um, a mom or some grandparent in the church to lead the youth program. And I, the people I've met like that often feel like inferior because they're not the 23-year-old you know, man that plays guitar. And they're like, that's yeah. the ideal youth director in their mind. But but the advantage of being someone from the church is that 
people trust you and they know you and yep. you're he- and, heading off this problem before it even develops. Yeah. And that's why, uh, one of the things that, um, one of the other things that I would encourage for resources is when you have those folks who are volunteering their time, mm-hmm. who are doing it because they're committed to the local church is whatever you can do to, as a, as a local church, make sure you're resourcing them, find them some, the training and support they need, you know, to, to not just do things from their heart, but give them the tools they need to, to do it well. Um, and so often when we get folks from locality, either doing it for next to no pay or, or doing it just, you know, doing that part-time job that's actually a 40 hour a week job, um, mm-hmm. because you know, you do 20 hours voluntary on top of it, yeah. um, is, is making sure that you're equipping them and, and setting them up for, for success. So a whole bunch of, of places out there where you can make that happen and, and, uh, you know, local denominations, if they've got some good training going, connecting with some of the free resources out there, uh, lots of blogs um, that you can access. Um, yeah, just make sure that you're investing in the people who are also giving their time uh, from the locality, not just the, the staff that you're bringing in as well. That's great advice. Yeah. Uh, Carl, how can our listeners find you on the internet? Um, you can find me in a whole bunch of places. Uh, find me on Facebook. Uh, just look up Carl Dodd. Uh, I'm on there. Um, I have a couple of websites. Uh, one's called www.adventure-together.com. I wanted the venture together all together, but that was like $3,000. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's a hyphen so in there. The $20 version. Okay. There's a hyphen in the middle of adventuring together. Um, and then also I'm, I'm working on a, a new project, which we talked about uh, at www.smallchurchmatters.com. Um, which is about, I'm trying to think of ways that to get a whole bunch of people who've got a passion for the small church together to work out how uh, we can support them to do some of the things big churches can do so easily, yeah. but are a challenge to, to small churches um, just because of the resources that we have. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your time. I think a lot of this feedback was pretty helpful in, in getting oriented towards some basic questions. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, man. Carl talked about a lot of things and he had a lot of great insights, but I want to highlight three of them. The most important technique that Carl mentions, the main thing that you're sort of trying to do as you approach this question of how to reboot a youth program in your church is this. You want to gather lots of voices, lots of people who have insight into what the needs of the community are and the strengths of your church are. You want to gather a lot of them together Maybe not together, maybe you go interview them one by one, but basically you want to hear from a lot of these voices so that you can effectively find answers together. This is definitely the sort of situation where uh, together we go far, uh, alone we go quickly. Better to go far and slowly, like Carl said, than to go quickly. He told a few stories about how he went too quickly at different periods and realized he should have gone far and slowly with other people. The most important question you can ask as you're coming up with ideas, as you're considering things, is does this do discipleship? We talked about discipleship in our very first episode because it's the main thing that youth ministry is. If you come up with this new idea for your church and how to approach youth ministry, will that help your church walk alongside people like Jesus walking alongside those people headed to Emmaus? Will it help you walk alongside them and help them process, learn, and grow 
into healthier, more complete human beings? Will it do discipleship? That's the most important question to ask. Finally, we've got uh, we got one of the more important problems to avoid. Often in a small church, when you're reconsidering your youth ministry, that often starts with an anxiety in the church. Often, not always, but it often starts with someone in the church looking around at the demographics of the church and realizing, hey, our church is getting old and we need more young people around here or the church is going to die. Let's start a youth program and that'll help keep the church alive. Fighting to keep the church alive is probably not a great idea for anyone in Christian ministry, but it's certainly a recipe for failure in this specific case. If the church's goal in starting a youth program is simply to bring in young people so it keeps the church alive, you're just not going to succeed. That goal is fundamentally going to keep you from doing the thing you need to be doing, which is discipleship. All right, everybody. Uh, this is Amanda Kahn again, and we spoke with Amanda in our first episode. Um, in real life, that happened about six weeks ago. So, um, Amanda, you started in November, and I've got a series of questions based on the last time we talked. Mostly, I'm just going to check in on how those things are going. So, one of the things you talked about is hoping that you could build community inside of the youth themselves. Um, how's that going? I think it's slowly starting to happen. I'm seeing students kind of interact more with each other. And it used to be after it was over, they kind of head to the parking lot and their parents would pick them up. But I'm starting to see them staying a little bit longer and talking and seeing some of their sense of humor is coming out. So I think they're starting to get a little bit more comfortable with each other. That's great. So so in that regard, like your plan is working. The stuff you're doing is working. I think so. Looks like it to me. Okay. Um, actually you, you, yeah, you said last time we spoke that you were going to try and start working on, not start working on, uh, make some steps forward on a, a plan. Do you feel like you have a sense on whether that's paying off in other regards yet? I, I definitely think it is. I'm seeing students talk more and then they're actually talking about how it's easy to read the Bible and understand it, but actually follow it and do it. It's difficult. So I think in those small group discussion times that we're having, it's really helping them to be able to talk about those things. And, and I can say, hey, as an, as an adult that's a Christian, it's still always hard to follow the Bible. So I'm glad that they're recognizing that. They come and we play a quick game, we have a lesson, and then we divide into our small groups. And that really seems to be working. Okay. Um, can you tell us about how your... Uh, last time we spoke, you said that one of the things you were concerned about was building trust with parents and leadership. How's that going? I think it's getting there for sure. Um, some of our parents I've had over to our house, and so there's definitely some parents I'm closer to than others. Some parents I've reached out to have been really busy, so it's been hard for us to kind of connect. But if I could just, you know, see them on a Sunday morning, I try to connect with them that way. And they're starting to reach out to me a little bit more, sending prayer requests my way. And I've spent a lot of time listening to parents who have, you know, when they want to talk about things. 
And it's been really neat to see them kind of talk about things and then the answers on kind of how to make it better kind of pop into their head with me just being quiet. I've tried to really work hard on being quiet and listening because a lot of times I want to interrupt them. But when I just kind of be quiet and listen, they figure out things on their own and then I see improvements in their family. So that's been really neat to definitely see them reaching out to me for those kind of things. Man, that's great news. I think mm-hmm. that I think that thing you said about like if you just hold back and let them say it and then sort of work it out on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really powerful. Yes, it is. And it's pa- really neat to see. And all I have to do is listen. Yeah, yeah, it's actually less work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, man, that's awesome. Um, yeah. you, you had a leadership planning meeting. I guess now it was it was quite a few weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. Do you even remember that? Do you remember how it went? Oh, yes, I remember. Um, Well, we have a steering committee at our church instead of elders right now because we're kind of new, but our goal is to move towards elders. So I presented to the whole steering committee, and it was a little nerve-wracking presenting to everyone um, because it seems like easier to present to teenagers than to adults for me. And we had, I invited some parents, so the parents were there, and we went over all of our strategies for um, communicating with volunteers and parents and our weekly program. And at the end, they approved everything. They said it was really well organized. And we moved on to talking about something else. And one of the guys on the leadership team said, well, just give it to Amanda and she'll plan it all out and it'll go smoothly. So I think that was a pretty good hit. Yeah, that's a uh, good. Yeah, they seem to like what you're doing and how you're processing mm-hmm. stuff. All right. So, uh, so right now, how are things going? What are you excited about? And, uh, what are you nervous about? Uh, well, we had a Valentine's event that went really great. We had two new students show up and I had no idea they were coming. I never really know who's coming. I always send out reminders and emails and text messages and just, they show up. So I'm always great when they show up. I'm always happy when they come Mm -hmm. and we made Chinese dumplings and we delivered those with flowers to the widows in our community and in our church. And it went over really, really well. The widows in our church were sending us thank you cards. My neighbor is a widow and she doesn't go to church anywhere. And after we delivered to her, she was so touched by it. She's like, I'm looking for a church. I'm going to come visit your church. And it was just really neat to see that um, the widows appreciate the students. And I don't think they really understood what a big impact they were making until they saw the thank you notes come in. Really? So that was a lot of fun. And then we have a event coming in April, a family event. And I have a male volunteer that's going to plan something with the guys. And then I'm going to lead the girls group with some other volunteers. We're going to have them to our house. So I'm going to try to include um, mothers and their kids. So mothers and daughters, and then maybe mother figures if some mothers can't make it. Mm -hmm. And then same thing with the guys, fathers and sons, and maybe father figures. And the whole goal of that event is try to help build more community with the parents and give the parents an opportunity to connect more with their kids. Because I know sometimes teenagers might come home from school and just lock themselves in their room and be on their smartphone or on the internet, and they don't maybe interact a lot. And Sometimes it's just parents need a little help with uh, a setting where they can feel comfortable talking to their kids and their kids will feel comfortable with them. And that's smart. Uh, they, yeah, they, uh, and that, that might really work. That's got me thinking about doing that in my, in my youth group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes like communication seems to break down. And so setting them up 
where they're like sort uh-huh. of in public, so they sort of have to behave themselves, but mm-hmm. you're setting them up for healthy conversations. Right. Right. And for the guys, I want them to do something fun, like go bowling together. Cause I feel like guys open up more when they're just playing basketball together. I'm not a guy, so I could be off on this, but um, maybe if they go fishing together and have like a five minute devotion and then the girls maybe can come to my house and we can cook something together and then have a five minute devotion. I think that that's going to be a really powerful event. So I'm excited to see what happens with that. Cool. All right. Um, what do you, uh, what are you nervous about? Are there things that you're like keeping your eye on or? Yes. Um, I, so for our small group leaders, I have quite a few small group leaders that are girls. Um, and it's kind of been tough for me to find men, small group leaders. My husband's been coming every Wednesday night. There's some men that are willing to help with events off and on. So that's, you know, that's not a huge time commitment to help with event every other month, but I'm looking for a big time commitment to come to our small group every Wednesday night. And that's been kind of tricky because I know a lot of men are busy and then I just, I mean, there's been research done that the church is a lot of times geared towards women. Mm -hmm. And so you often have more women in the church than you have men. So it makes it kind of challenging to find some male leaders. My husband is great. One of the students said he's the coolest person he's ever met in the life of the party. So he he kind of comes in there and asks the silly questions, and I kind of ask the serious questions, and we make a good team. But I really need some, some more male leaders, and part of it is I think it's hard I don't know. It's just hard for me to find the male leaders and I've talked with other male leaders. So we're working on it and I think we can find them. It's just going to take a little more effort. Yeah. I think volunteer recruitment in, in most churches is it's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, and then outreach, I feel like I fail at reaching outside of the four walls of North point Christian church. I would like to maybe, I know Chick-fil-A a lot of high school students, um, there's a high school really close to our church, and they go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. So I need to go and hang out there, maybe buy some extra Chick-fil-A sandwiches and pass them out and have some conversations with some more high schoolers. Or maybe I can go to some of, have lunch with some of the students that go to our church now and then maybe get to know their friends. I need to find creative ways to kind of reach out because we are growing. We do have some new students coming, but also I'd love to see us grow even more. Yeah, yeah, sure. Man, Amanda, you are doing a ton of stuff in a pretty small amount of time, it seems to me. You're you're like crazy productive. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> All right. Um, well, um, I guess that's a pretty good check-in. Let me uh let me ask you this. What can we what can we be praying for you about in this next month? Well, I think just praying that I will find the right volunteers, and I'm really trying to push hard to find some male volunteers and even more women volunteers, because I know what I'm, I'm working with a coach that he is a youth minister, and he was really, he grew a youth group pretty significantly by recruiting a lot of volunteers as you know Jesus had 12 disciples and who am I to really think I can take care of more than 12 students and help mm-hmm. them grow I need to kind of duplicate myself so that we can reach more students and as we grow we're prepared for that growth so just pray that I'll be able to be creative and finding male leaders and creative in how I reach outside the our four walls all right we can do that thanks Amanda we'll talk to you in a month Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
All right, everybody, that's the end of episode four. Next week, we start a short series on how to teach well. We've got about three, maybe four episodes on that, and I think some of it is the best stuff we've ever done. If you have a few moments, would you mind reviewing us on iTunes or leaving some comments on our Facebook page? We're about four episodes in, and so it's time to start reviewing how we're doing and uh, seeing how that's working for everybody. Thanks for your help, and I look forward to seeing you next week.